0: To be sure, there are external challenges, like when our children behave in ways we don't like, but there can also be internal challenges, like when we beat up on ourselves as we undertake this enormous task. And when we beat up on ourselves, it tends not to be good for our children. What if there was a way to be kinder to ourselves and simultaneously be better parents? Turns out there is and my guest is the perfect person to help us unpack the playbook for better parenting through self-compassion dr susan Pollock is a psychologist and the co-founder at the center for mindfulness and compassion at harvard medical school cambridge health alliance she's also the author of a book i loved called self-compassion for parents So listen in as Susan masterfully explains how to be kinder to ourselves and to our children. Dr. Susan Pollack, who has asked me to call her Susan, welcome to Super Psyched.
1: Adam, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Likewise, you were actually recommended to me by two of your highly esteemed colleagues. And after reading your book and just being so sad that I didn't have it, before my children were born. But as you've kindly reminded me, it's clearly not too late for me to implement the technologies of the book into my relationship and relating to myself and my children. What a gift. And already, as I mentioned, at least two of my clients will be or have purchased your book. So I would say it's been referred to as required reading for parents. And I couldn't agree more. It fills such an unusual and needed space. And I'm wondering how all the things to double down on. And I'm so glad you did. How did you decide to write this book?
1: Well, Adam, as I'm sure you'll agree, and as I'm sure your listeners will agree, it is hard to be okay. your parent. It is so hard. In fact, Freud called it one of the impossible professions. Freud was right. It is pretty impossible. And as I was sitting with one of my clients, and this was even pre-pandemic, she was complaining about how hard it was to be raising teenagers. And I feel like it's gotten exponentially harder for parents of teens. And I see a knowing nod from you. It's just been so hard. And we were talking about, you know, little tricks, little hacks. And she said, do you know, Susan, You should write a book on this. This is really helpful. And at that point, I had been a self-compassion teacher. I was one of the third mindful self-compassion teachers on the block, learning from Chris Grammer and working with him. And I feel that self-compassion is a necessary skill. You really don't want to leave home without it. And it just so helps. Us get a grip. It helps our kids. It helps our marriages. So I was like, no one's really written about this yet. And then, because at that point when I started writing the book, my kids were recently out of the house, and I didn't have an easy time either. I thought, gee, I have perspective here—from very early days to getting them through college to helping them, if you're lucky, launch. And now, shortly after, I'm the grandmother of a 15 month old. So I feel like I really have a wide perspective, a
0: bird's eye view. So true. You do. And you convey that so well. I-, I related to everything you wrote. It was as if you've had a looking glass into my life. And I agree wholly with Freud's assessment that parenting is the impossible task. And I agree with what you're saying that it's become only harder. Back when I was a teenager, we might have said something, you know, in the 80s. Wow, that's so 70s. And then I noticed that people were saying, oh, that's so last year. And now it can be even that's so last month or that's so last week. Things are moving at such a rapid pace that it's hard for a parent to keep up with everything that's going on. And we can feel like failures in the midst of all this. And that's where I believe the self-compassion piece comes in. Can you explain what self-compassion is and what it's not?
1: So let me just jump in on that failure piece because that is so important. And this is a secret, okay? I think every parent I know feels like a failure. And not only do we feel like a failure, we beat ourselves
0: up. Totally.
1: Relentlessly. I mean, I don't know about you, but I still go back to Mistakes I've made, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, like, oh, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Thank God our kids don't remember that look or, you know, what you did that you're still beating yourself up about, you know, 20, 30 years later. So to get to the question, and let me sort of make this as user friendly as you can. The definition I like the best about self-compassion is, okay, Adam, what would your best friend say to you? 75% of us are kinder to others. 75 to 80% are kinder to others than we are to ourselves. So our friends will say, Adam, it's okay. I've done the same thing. And thank God he doesn't remember. And we all make mistakes. That's what being human's about, okay? You are not immune from being human. Or as one of my colleagues says, we are all a hundred percent human.
0: So true. If you unpack that in your own words, what does it mean to be all of us, one hundred percent human?
1: We all fuck up,
0: <laughs>
1: and we fuck up all the time. We do. We do, even though we have good intentions. So self-compassion, again, really wrestling with the question is saying, Adam, it's okay. You're human.
0: We all fuck up. And that's so liberating.
1: Yeah, it is. So it's like, oh, okay. I don't have to beat myself up for the rest of my life because I... Gave my son a, a weird look, or is really. it to him in a harsh
0: voice, as if revisiting it is going to be edifying in some way. It, it won't. And you're speaking to what Brene Brown talks about extensively—that when we experience this shame of "I am bad," not just "I did something bad," but "I am a mistake," uh, not "I made a mistake," and that self-compassion that we could get from a friend or give to ourselves just gets rid of it.
1: Exactly. And just a plug for my colleague, Chris Grimmer, you just mentioned his recent work is on shame. And that is exactly what shame is. It's Not only did I make a mistake, I'm a bad person and you Uh, just want
0: to hide under your computer desk or the table. There's got to be some internal PR department. Perhaps it's within the negativity bias whereby we believe we will become more virtuous if we beat up on ourselves, what is the root cause, as you see it, of us beating up on ourselves?
1: I think it's our parents and our grandparents. Um, <laughs> so we think, using your word PR, because compassion, especially self-compassion, has a really bad PR. We think that it means we're going to be soft on ourselves. So let me just tell you a funny story. Kristen Nev, who I don't know if you've had her on your show yet. You should have not yet. She is sort of the main researcher on self-compassion. So her research was coming out. A lot of it was done with Bruce Germer. And the New York Times was writing an article about how important this was. And she thought, oh, great. I've made it. I've made the times. And then she was looking at the comments. And one of the comments said, great. Just what we need. A nation of wimps.
0: And i could feel that coming.
1: So people think being self-compassionate means being a wimp, means being indulgent with kids. It might mean saying to your son, oh, you don't have to go to school. You don't have to study the SATs. You don't have to graduate high school. Stay home. Watch Netflix. Would you like some chocolate cookies (laughs) and ice cream for breakfast? Sure. (laughs) And yeah, it's okay to treat me like a doormat. I'm just your dad. Totally. So it's sort of allowing bad behavior. So people don't get that self-compassion is really about having some respect and kindness for yourself. It's like, no, again, excuse my language. It's not okay to treat your dad like shit.
0: Absolutely not.
1: Or your teachers. Yeah. Or your friends. You respect yourself. You need to respect others. So it's having some values and really practicing kindness in your life.
0: And what I love about this is that self-compassion is in no way at odds with having a spine, with it's not being ultra permissive or complacent. One of the things I also Sometimes when I'm trying to do some education around self-compassion, I have to let people know, don't worry, you're not going to become the dude from Big Lebowski and suddenly not pay your bills and barely have a life. You will actually have a more full and perhaps even a more vital existence for the things that you care about, like kicking ass in the world.
1: Exactly. And Christian Neff's research, and I don't know if you want to put a link to her website, but she's very well organized and the research is great. Shows that with self-compassion, we're more motivated. So let's say your son, for example, fails a math test. Rather than saying to him, you fucking idiot, you (laughs) failed that math test. What is wrong with you? It's okay. You know, we all make mistakes. We fail. Let's talk about how you could do it differently the next time. So you don't berate him. You're kind to him. And it's like, yeah, I know you really want to study engineering or you're very interested in science and you really want to help people with cancer. It's good to understand math if that's where you go.
0: So rather than conveying anger, shame, and creating a culture of non-safety within the home, we actually increase trust and we actually let them know that the goal is separate from the human. It's outside there and we can look at it together. Let's look at the goal together and it's not you. And somehow right. you uncouple the child from the result.
1: Beautiful. And it's i going back to having that best friend. So like, how could you be a coach? And I'm not talking about the coach who says, you idiot, Mm -hmm. how could you miss that? How could you strike out? What is wrong with you? You're a loser. I'm talking about the coach who says, give it your best shot. We can't control everything. And let's practice on that swing
0: a little. Right, and the best hitter is going to fail 70% of the time in bat 300. So imagine if he came back in the dugout or she came back in the dugout and heard from the coach, Way to go. You just completely blew it 70% of the time hearing that message and 30% of the time. Fantastic. I'm glad you got a single. Why not a double?
1: Actually, that's a perfect segue to going back to why we beat ourselves up. So let's say you come home or, you know, maybe this happened with your parent. And I know this happens to a lot of my clients. In fact, this happened to my husband. Well, who has your name? Well, Adam, (laughs) you got a 95 What happened to those other five points?
0: Totally. Right?
1: So their way, our parents' way of raising us was to shame us, to beat ourselves up, thinking that if you have their internal voice saying, well, Adam, what happened to those other five points? That somehow the next time around,
0: you would get a hundred. And it will build character.
1: Exactly. So they thought they were doing us a favor. They thought... They were building character when, in fact, they were creating kids who were so shamed and felt so guilty and so inadequate. And I know, Ron Sequel, you mentioned his new book is like, how can you appreciate yourself as you are rather than constantly feeling you're not
0: good enough? And I love his message. Yesterday morning, I actually was late in taking my son to school. I lost track of time. And I did something that I will do. And I just looked at my son in the car and said, I am really sorry. That is on me. And one of the things that I perpetually need to let parents know is that you don't have to be perfect. And in fact, copying to a mistake in front of your children models something really important. And I would think that using your book and having the self compassion actually opens up the parent to be more spacious in their willingness to say, hey, I blew it. And what's the end result? More trust. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, hey, you're talking to the choir here. So <laughs> there's research. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm mean, also a research geek. There's research that shows that when parents model this repair or this humility or this taking responsibility, not only are kids able to do that. Kids have an easier time in adolescence. And if you want that link, you can go to my website and it's an article I wrote for greater good. And the website is Dr. Susan Pollock. But I found, yeah, this makes sense. If our parents had been able to say, oh, I'm sorry, I screwed up, I'm late, that's on me. It would have been so much easier to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. And again, Bringing in the research because I think it's so helpful for people to know that this isn't just anecdotal. People who are high in self compassion have an easier time with relationships because we know as therapists, we often say, I mean, it's one of the most used expressions in therapy. Well, do you want to be right or do you want to be in a relationship? <laughs> yeah. And if you want to be in a relationship or many relationships, You have to admit when you've messed up. Totally. And if you were totally insecure and totally fragile, it's going to be really hard to say, I'm sorry, son, I lost track of time.
0: So what you're speaking about is the big N that we hear commonly talked about, the concept of narcissism. And a lot of people may Be surprised to learn that actually self compassion is not only negatively correlated with narcissism, that is, we become less narcissistic when we engage in these practices, but the ability to apologize and all of these skills that you're describing are actually corroborating evidence that we are less narcissistic when we're able to humble ourselves in this way. Is that consistent with your take on?
1: Totally. And that's the research. I mean, the research is. This is one of the myths people have and sort of the bad PR around self-compassion. People think that it means being narcissistic, but actually the opposite is true. You're less involved in
0: yourself, in your ego and your image. So true. And when I think of the great coaches of all time, one of them is actually fictional, but that would be Ted Lasso. And what I've experienced is that being a parent is akin to being a really good coach. We can be the coach who throws a chair across the basketball court. you may remember that guy from Indiana. Or we can be more like, for example, Steve Kerr, who uses compassion as one of his guiding lights to take the Warriors to five NBA championships. So I find myself thinking, I'd love for you to describe one of the scenarios in which Self-compassion might be hard to muster, like one of these things where everything is going sideways in the family system, but the parent, instead of engaging in self-flagellation, instead uses one of your techniques and what might the outcome be? If you were to write a vignette of that, which you do many of in your book, and they're fantastic, could you share one such vignette?
1: I have so much compassion for parents of teens during the pandemic. Because almost all the teens I hear about, the teens I see have been free and they are lonely. I think one of the worst possible things for a teenager is to be trapped with your parents at home when you're 16. I mean,
0: when all you want to do is be with your peers. Right. I mean, totally.
1: Talk about a bad dream. Talk about a nightmare stuck in a pandemic for two years and not being able to get out. So one of the children of someone I work with was doing what most teenagers do, but on steroids. So sex, drugs, drinking, promiscuity, fighting, I mean, you name it, it was happening. So what happened is this child got caught for shoplifting. And this was a family where you don't do things like that. And I don't know what things are like in California, but if you get caught shoplifting and it's over a certain amount, it's rough. It it could go on your transcript. I mean, it's just a mess. You don't want that to happen. So anyway, this child, this teen was caught shoplifting. and. Again, who knows what they were thinking? There are cameras everywhere. This person was with friends. The person was about to walk out the store and the security officer grabbed her and said, let me see. And then one of the friends who was also shoplifting passed her some more stuff because the friend didn't want to get caught. And the mother could have just said, what were you thinking? What are you doing? What is going on with you? You're grounded for the rest of your life. The mother instead said, "Whoa, that was really scary, wasn't it? And you know what? Let's see if we can get you some support, Because often when kids are shoplifting, that's a way of saying, "I need some help." And of course, there was a lot going on in the family, and I won't say any of it that you can imagine what may have gone on. Yep. And I think the kid expected the parent to just totally blow. And the parent said, look, I wasn't perfect as a teenager. I needed some help. I needed some support. Let me get you some help here. So things don't get worse.
0: Wow. The big question I've really been wanting to ask you that's just been on my head has been you're clearly a good mom. I can just tell you're an amazing therapist and a real consumer and a producer of great content. What are some of your favorite kind of north stars when it comes to parenting? What are some of your favorite perhaps axioms or directives that could lead to better outcomes as a parent?
1: Wonderful question. So let me give you some of my top five hits. Let me sort of start with a few that tie in first with what we were talking about. So for you, Adam, when you're going back over what you said to your son 17 years ago, (laughs) whatever. And this is from one of my mentors. And I love to thank people who have been wise helps. This is a trauma mentor named Janina Fisher, who's actually- Oh my God, Janina
0: Fisher, please.
1: Yeah, huge. And in Northern California now, was in Boston like forever, brilliant, brilliant therapist. And one of her sayings that I have used for years is, okay, Adam, if it's not happening now, it's not happening. I mean, talk about coming into the present moment. Sort of like, wait a minute, you don't have to beat yourself up about what you said to your son. You're not saying that right
0: now. It's not happening now.
1: It's not happening now. You know, so you're not, as the meditation teachers would say, you're not getting caught in the past. You're not going off, spinning off into the future. Like, oh, how many years of therapy is my son going to need because I said that? You're staying in the present, which is a gift, which is why it's called the present.
0: Yep. Couldn't agree more.
1: So that is one of the hits I really like. Mm. In terms of the other content we've discussed, one of my favorite don't leave home without it quotes is the self-compassion free, which is Chris Germer may have spoken about this. It's a very simple read part you can say to yourself when things are tough. So let me guide you through that. And your listeners can do it with me. But let's just imagine you've had a hard day. Sure, You've had a fight with your teenager or a fight with your wife and you start hating yourself. Mm. You start beating yourself up. You start calling yourself names. So, what we want to do is interrupt that circuitry. So, you're not ruminating, you're not spitting, you're not pursuing. So, the first thing to say, and I'm going to use real language because the traditional language and mindful self compassion doesn't work for everyone. So, the traditional language is okay, this is a moment of suffering. Most of the parents. I know don't like that thing, for sure. So use your own expletives, okay? This is really hard. I fucked up. I hate myself. I can't believe I was stupid. So basically, this was a really tough one. Sure. And that's a moment of mindfulness. Okay, Okay, this is hard. This hurts. He hurt me. She hurt me. Kids hurt me. Ouch. So just acknowledging that and just feeling it, like, okay, don't ignore it, don't run away from it, don't deny, yeah, okay, this happened. And then you broaden it out. I know we were talking a few minutes ago about the larger perspective. So you're not kind of getting out your lens on your phone or your camera and examining the fine detail. of all the things that are wrong. <laughs> okay? You're not going for the close-up with every war <laughs> and
0: every war. Have you been watching my life?
1: But that is, you know, yeah, that's what we do. Human. Right. What you say is, okay, this is what parents do. I'm human. Just like all these other millions of parents. I had a hard day and I'm human. And life is hard. Again, going back to good old Dr. Freud, life is hard for almost all parents. And in fact, it can even be impossible. Yeah. Okay. No. no, this isn't me. I don't need to take this personally because my son yelled at me or my daughter was caught kind of job lifting. This is the territory of raising a kid. And then the third point, again, moving away from the stilted language, sort of like, Oh, okay. Let me give myself some compassion. Again, that is a word that doesn't work for a lot of parents. So it's like, this is what happens. May I be kind to myself. Mm -hmm. And some people find that even that is hard. So I'd like to say, may I aspire to be kind to myself. Mm. Maybe in this millennium, maybe in this lifetime, I could be kind to myself. And sometimes people like to do, although people often raise their eyebrows at this, give themselves what we call supportive touch. I mean, some people, especially guys, think that's icky or cheesy, so you don't have to do that. But if it feels comfortable, could put a hand on your chest, Mm -hmm. give yourself a hug, like, okay, this is a really bad moment. This happens to parents. This happens in a marriage. This happens in a friendship. This happens at work. Hey, can I treat myself kindly? Because, and we've laid the foundation beautifully here. We know that beating ourselves up, yelling at ourselves, calling ourselves stupid, calling ourselves names does not help. We're treating ourselves the way our friends would it makes a huge difference. So it's basically a very simple three-step process.
0: And what I love about it is that By being mindful, by accepting the present moment as it is, by observing it and knowing that this is what is happening, and by even just aspiring to bring in some self-compassion, disrupt. I like that expression, what we resist persists, and we're not resisting it, we're accepting it, and we're softening it, and I'm loving the feeling of my hand on my chest as we're talking, it just feels so self-soothing. And one of the things that I've learned from, I used to hate cats, but I've come to not just to love cats, but I adore them. And I'm definitely an equal lover of cats and dogs. But what I've learned from cats is how to try to find my own inner purr, as I call it. I've watched cats and they've been role models for like, they know how to find the most comfortable spot in the house. They know how to curl Uh, up and they can find that self-soothing her. And I, I that. aim for that as well. And as you were describing this process, yeah, that was where my mind went rather feline.
1: Well, that is so helpful because that's what we want people to do. We want people to take these practices and make it their own. So my guess is next time you have a fight with your son or your partner, you'll say, all right, that was tough. This is what happens in relationships. And let me find my own inner purr. Mm -hmm. That is really knowing yourself. I mean, that is knowing what kind of comfort you need at a hard time.
0: And what's interesting, as we say this, lest anybody think that this is just for house cats, big, (laughs) ferocious lions also purr. So this is good for the big boss as well.
1: And they comfort their young.
0: They comfort their young. Yeah. And for those of you listening, I just want you to realize I have a wonderful relationship with my wife and sons. And yet, of <laughs> course, we are all human. One of the last things I want to ask you about is one of my favorite forms of disruption. And you mentioned it a few times in the book, bringing in levity and play. And I think that may be one of the most important things a parent can do. Can you talk about levity and play and how it relates to self-compassion and good parenting?
1: Oh, absolutely. And right now, I feel that levity and play is what is keeping us sane during the pandemic. I mean, because it's basically so absurd. There's a quote that I found just the other day, which is an ancient Zen quote, which is, the whole world is upside down. and. You know, this is ancient. Right now, it feels like this is personal that the world is so upside down. But if we look with our wide angle telescopic lens, there have been plagues before, there have been wars before. This is not the first time that the world is upside down. So, having a sense of the absurdity of it all helps us not. Take it so personally helps us laugh about it if we can and it helps us move on like, OK, this is crazy. And what else can I do?
0: Having that long view and somehow taking the piss out of the pain that's going on and not making it so personal, even though it does feel personal. One of the things that I hear from everybody is that this plague, which is affecting us all, does feel incredibly personal. I think it's partially because we don't have the reflections of other people to remind us that we're not alone as much in person as we've been accustomed to. But the other thing that you talk about is just the idea of just kind of softening and dancing with and almost laughing in the face of the pain as well. Just trying to find the funny, trying to find where is the opportunity here to play.
1: And again, the research on play is so important. And again, not to bore people with being a research geek, but they find with rats, that rats who are taught to play are so much healthier. Kids who are playing have more perspective, more friends. And it goes back to a formula I like, which is, I don't know, somewhat of a cliche, but very true, which is Pain times resistance (laughs) equals suffering. Yes. So if you just sort of say, okay, this is being human, this is endemic, this will pass. Let me not add suffering. Let me not add resistance to it. It's bad enough.
0: So good. The pain is inevitable. The suffering is optional. Get rid of the shoulds. Get rid of the resistance itself. People have asked me, you know, you and I both probably use should less frequently than because we've been taught that should is not a reality based word. And it's those shoulds that's really just add another element to the pain. Well, before I get to my magical question, is there anything I should have asked but haven't yet?
1: Let me add one more thing about the pain. And this is an ancient Buddhist story about the second arrow. So it's a great story because this is how we handle pain. So what happens in the ancient scriptures is this man is shot by an arrow. And a friend comes up and says, let me pull that arrow out. He says, no, before you pull it out, we have to find out what type of arrow it was. Was it poisonous? Who shot it? Da, 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 da. And the friend basically says, look, being shot by one arrow is enough. Do you need to add a second one? I mean, so this is kind of the tough love for with Definitely, like, You're making it worse. Yeah. Let me pull the arrow out. We'll deal with it once it's out. But let's not analyze the arrow first. Let's just stop it.
0: And what a compassionate friend, if we think about compassion in its definition, the the desire to remove suffering, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And when I hear that story, of course, I think of the famous Nelson Mandela quote of resentment is like drinking poison, hoping the other will die. It was something Mm. like that. And this other friend is saying, dude, we're dealing with the arrow here and now. We're not trying to do a full forensic. Let's get you better.
1: Yeah. Let's get it out. Let's apply some salve, clean out the wound.
0: And that's what we can do for ourselves as parents, as we apply your techniques that are so wonderful in this book. Truly, if you read this book or listen to it as I did on Audible, you will find that not only is it incredibly pleasurable and instructive, but that so many scenarios are brought up that describe the challenge of parenting from so many angles so i'm just grateful to you for having hit so many of the tough surfaces of parenting
1: and thanks because the book comes out of a life lived in raising kids and it not being easy and it also comes out of over 30 years of therapy Mm. as you know you you see a lot
0: and yeah and getting to walk with wounded soldiers through life Whether they're in a foxhole or parachuting out of a plane, it's just amazing to have the privilege of sitting with people in these moments of their life. So, here's my final fantastical question. So, Susan, if you were given the magical abilities to confer upon all humanity a skill or an insight that would help people, what would that skill or insight be? And how do you imagine it would help improve the lives? of the individuals and perhaps even society at large?
1: I would go back to, you know, really wishing that people could train themselves in compassion and wisdom and kindness. Because it's really, it's a superpower. Mm. It helps you heal. It helps you parent. It helps you be in relationships. It helps you shift really difficult situations into something you can learn something from rather than saying, This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. No one else has suffered in this way. It's sort of like, Yeah, this is hard. And is there something that I can learn from
0: this? What is the lesson? And that keeps us cognitively flexible rather than rigid. It keeps us learning rather than hard-boiled. Exactly. What a great thing to wish. I imagine all stakeholders would benefit if we were able to adopt this.
1: Well, and again, it's sort of, it's not taking ourselves or life so seriously or so personally. And that's one reason why history is so fascinating. It's like, this is not new. And how have our ancestors dealt with it? And that's why community is so important. What can my friends, what can my family, what can my community teach me about dealing with hard times?
0: Yes. And that also, I just have to add to that, if I may, and I'd love to hear what you have to say to this. I love the, I believe it's Jim Rohn who may have said this a gazillion years ago, Something effective. the effect of we become the average of the five people with whom we spend the most time. So it really behooves us to choose carefully who our community is because the feedback we receive from our community could be supportive or it could be quite actually depleting.
1: Yeah, that's a great comment. And choose your friends carefully. Are these people who were encouraging the best in you?
0: Well Susan, I choose you. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your one non-renewable resource with all of us, your time. And it's just been a blast reading your book, geeking out to you and then getting to meet you and have you share your incredible wisdom with my listeners.
1: I Thanks, Adam. I feel the same way. And I am super psyched to be on your podcast and wishing you and all your listeners the very best.
0: Oh, thank you. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe.